welcome to the Talking Code podcast. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Venkat Ginavahi. And we're having short interviews with experts that help you decode what developers are saying. If you're a first-time listener, make sure to go to TalkingCode.com and sign up for our mailing list. We send out links to new interviews along with exclusive content just for our subscribers. So we're here with Jonathan Cornelison of DataCamp. How are you doing today, Jonathan? Very good, thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about the background of DataCamp and what you do there? DataCamp is an online data science school, and we teach people how to analyze data by interactive coding challenges and video lessons. Uh, so for some people who might be familiar with Codecademy or Code School, which teach you how to do web development in an interactive way, well, DataCamp is similar, but it's focused on data science skills. We've been around for one and a half year, and we've been growing quite fast. We're, we're at 150,000 users right now, and our focus is to, to continue to build great courses that teach people R, but also statistical methodologies. That's really impressive number for something that you know I might consider fairly niche in the programming world. Yeah, but I, I, actually, I don't really agree with that statement. I think like data science in general, if you like, we're we're very niche focused at this moment. We're focused on the statistical programming language R, but the bigger vision is to provide interactive training online for every data science tool there is and for every statistical methodology there is. And if you think about it that way, it's actually quite a large field that's growing very rapidly. Okay, well, so to forgive my ignorance then, can you explain to me what data science really is? Yeah, in general, it's it's the extraction of knowledge from data. So it's a new, like sexed up term for applied statistics, basically. And typically people describe it as the intersection of three domains, programming, statistics, and and then some business or domain-specific knowledge. So you see people going into data science from statistics background and then picking up programming skills or from a, a computer science background and then picking up more statistical skills as well as people who are in a business analyst role and require more, uh, well, they acquire more programming skills and, and math skills. Could you perhaps provide some examples on what kind of data there is out there to analyze? Oh, it's um, like every industry these days is, is being digitalized, as you certainly know. So it ranges from marketing data, from internet startups, to financial data, to healthcare data. Literally every industry is being digitalized. So yeah, there are so many things people are are analyzing these days. Do you have any examples of uh, what a company might analyze? Yeah, for example, if you're a financial institution or you work in finance, you, you're going to analyze data to come up with risk profiles of people, with risk pro- profiles of portfolios. If you're in, in a healthcare company, you might want to try to predict the effectiveness of new drugs or analyze someone's DNA. If you're a dating site, you may want to analyze the data to see and predict what people will be most likely to be a good match. If you're a Facebook, you want to analyze how you can improve engagement by yeah, doing experiments with your users. There are numerous examples. Are there like some things that I might have encountered just in my you know natural internet behavior that people might be performing on data that I'm creating? 
Oh yeah, sure. Um, I think you're being experimented with all the time as an internet user. Right. So you have these tools like Optimizely, where you provide 50% of the users with a red button, uh, 50% of the users with a green button, and, and you see which one converts best. That's like a very simple example of a very simple experiment that, that happens all the time. But also things like, like ads, the ads you see are probably based on the data you've given some company previously, whether it's Google, Facebook. So if I'm coming into doing data science, then do I really need to have you know, some sort of scientific or statistical background to be able to do this work? It will depend on who you ask that question, what the answer will be. My opinion is that you do need some theoretical background, ideally. But like, I think everybody who has a STEM background, so science, technology, engineering, math, and who is willing to put in some effort can pretty quickly learn uh, the basics of statistics and also applied statistics, so ana data analysis. But I do think like it's good to have some theoretical background. Okay, that makes sense. So is that something that DataCamp actually helps you do is establish that theoretical background or should I be learning that on my own outside of it? Well, DataCamp is really focused on teaching you the skill. Our goal is to teach both. The first thing you need to learn is a technical skill. You have to learn a language that allows you to analyze data. And we started with R because R is the most popular statistical programming language. But we want to add in the near future Python and, and other tools that, that are being used. So the first thing you, you do need is some kind of technical skill. But once you've acquired that skill, we're also already offering some courses which teach you the basics of statistics. And that's something we want to invest in going forward as well. So DataCamp really wants to teach you both the programming skill as well as some of the theoretical backgrounds. I heard some examples of uh, fairly large companies like Facebook that are using data science. Do only big companies need data science? Oh, no, definitely not. I think like the best way to think about it is like 25 years ago, virtually no company had an IT department. And now almost every company has an IT department, not only the big ones. And through that digitalization, enormous amounts of data have been generated. So the next wave is going to be that every company will have some kind of data science department or at least data science team inside its walls. And, and it starts with the technology companies, the financial institutions, the healthcare companies. But I like that's at least the bet we're making with, with DataCamp as a company. We believe that eventually most companies will have some kind, some sort of data scientists department. So forgive my ignorance on this yet again, but you know I've heard the term big data get thrown around a lot. Is big data just some sort of subset of data science? What exactly do we mean by big data? <laughs> That's a hard question to answer. Big data literally means a lot of data. <laughs> uh, it's hard like, to know where to draw the line. Typically, it's referred to amounts of data that don't fit on one PC anymore or don't fit in memory. So you need different tools to analyze it. But it's only a subset of what's happening. Like, I think the bigger trend is data, data science, and big data is just a subset of that. Yeah, I, I think I see the term tossed around a lot and used what appears to me, at least, as an outsider to be used interchangeably with data science. Do you see the same thing, at least in popular media? 
Yeah, I have the same feeling and it's it's definitely like not the same thing. And I think the bigger trend in like the fact that companies become more data driven is is way more important than the fact that sometimes the data is so big that you need new tools. But it's the novelty that that makes it sexy, I guess. Right. And I mean, it just throwing the word big on anything, I think, makes it sound more interesting anyways. I mean, like, <laughs> exactly. it's more data doesn't sound that interesting. Yeah. Just like statistics doesn't sound sexy. So people refer to it as data science. Big data sounds even like more serious. Right. <laughs> well, I don't want to ridiculize it, obviously, but because there is a, a need for different tools and it's making things possible that weren't possible before. But I agree that sometimes the, the terms are used interchangeably, whereas it's it's just a subset of of, of uh, yeah of an evolution towards data science being more popular. So I actually have a question for you, and I know it's going to be hard without a lot of context. I saw uh, I'm really interested in what's happening in American politics right now, and the Bernie Sanders campaign was talking recently in this article about how you know they are trying to compete with some of the bigger players who have more money out there. And their campaign manager had mentioned like the need to use big data analytics to go through and like actually crunch the numbers on their strategy. And what stuck out to me about what they said in particular was that, you know, they're skeptical about whether or not they can do it because they don't have a billion dollar budget. And that seemed very wrong headed to me. And again, I, we don't have like the PowerPoint deck that they use to talk about this. So I don't know precisely what it was that they were doing, but am I on the right track at least that that seems wrong, that they would need that sort of budget to be able to do what they're trying to do? Well, I honestly don't have enough context. I, I don't know enough about American politics to know how these things happen. If they really want to build a data science team, that's quite expensive, of course. But still, it's not a billion dollar endeavor. Right. So my guess would be that it costs a lot to gather the right data. So, I mean, let's say that I do want to build a data science team then. You know, what makes that expensive? What kind of people do I need to be able to assemble that sort of team? Yeah, so what makes it expensive is that there are a lot of people just like you who want to build a data science team. So there's there's like a huge demand for people who combine programming skills with some knowledge of statistics and some insight in how businesses work. So that has really caused wages to skyrocket. I think the the medium wage for somebody with the title data scientist is between 105 and 144K. And according to a report of McKinsey, there will be a shortage of about 200,000 data scientists by 2018. And that's in the US alone. Wow, And they predict that there will be another 1.5 million managers that need to understand how to get insights from data that won't be there. So it's really a shortage on the on the labor market that causes these wages to increase so much. So what my guess is going to be that a lot of people right now, an engineer who have a STEM background are going to be retrained or are going to retrain themselves to become more data savvy. And that's actually the bet we're making with, with, with our company, DataCamp, that there is this big need for existing engineers that just want to become, or even business people that, that want to become more data savvy and want to retrain their, themselves to take advantage of yeah, the fact that these wages are skyrocketing because there is a, such a demand supply in equilibrium. 
Okay, so what do you think is behind this shortage of data scientists? Well, it's simply the fact that demand is increasing so fast. So I, I think we're seeing the same thing as probably 15 years ago or 20 years ago in, in the IT revolution. It's a sector that's increasing so fast that people aren't getting educated fast enough. It's just really hard to get enough people trained in such a short time. If you just so, look at outputs from universities, that won't do it. So the only way, way to solve that problem is, is to retrain people by online mediums or offline mediums. So it's, uh, it, it seems to make sense when you, when you say these uh, big companies with these big budgets have these departments of data scientists. What does that mean for the, for the startup, though? Because I imagine a startup doesn't have you know, the resources to build a whole department of data scientists. What can a startup do? Well, like first of all, become aware of the fact that if they start measuring data that's important to them, that that can have a substantial impact. So ideally, one guy on the team becomes more data savvy in a small t- startup. Alternatively, you have a lot of s- software solutions that solve particular problems. For example, in marketing analytics, software tools like Kissmetrics or Mixpanel there's some serious number crunching and, and, and statistics sometimes behind that, but you don't have to do anything yourself. It's all set up. Like standard use cases are, are just um, put into software so everybody can use it. Could you explain a bit more in depth what you mean by data savvy? Like to understand how to use data to make decisions. So to have some kind of yeah knowledge or experience with how you can use data in a business context. You really need to be able to not only understand how to use data, but also to be able to like relate that back to what it is that you're already doing in that specific domain expertise. Yeah. And we do see, we do see plenty of examples of, of startups, you know, that are installing mixed panel, kiss metrics, all these like tools to log data, but so many of them don't know what to do with that data. They don't know. They're like, okay, I have all this data I've been collecting for the past few months. What does that mean now? Yeah, but I, I guess software products like Gizmetrics and Mixpanel, they also help you with the interpretation. They have these templates for cohort analysis that make it way easier to understand what's going on and to understand what the typical useful types of analysis are. Could you uh, explain real quick what cohort analysis means? Suppose you have a... Let's take DataCamp as an example. We have a freemium model where you can sign up for free at any point in time and then take a free course. When you like those, you can become a subscriber and convert into a paid user. Uh, So what's really interesting for us is to see on the one axis how many people register per week and then on the other axis how many of those actually convert into paid users. And that gives you a matrix with on the vertical axis you have every week you can see how many people signed up and then on the horizontal axis you can see the percentage of people that converted into paid users and that's a great way to segment and to see how yeah your business is evolving once you segment those users in the way that you're describing what could you do at that point so suppose you have a marketing initiative in week 3 First of all, you can benchmark that with respect to the other weeks in terms of how many people registered. So you can see how effective it was in terms of 
acquiring users. But second of all, you can also see whether that marketing initiative attracted people who were as able or more able, well, more likely to convert into paid users. It's a good way to evaluate the effect of initiatives you take at the marketing side. Okay, that makes sense. A lot of what I hear people talk about when they talk about the findings that they get when doing data science is correlations. And I'd like to know, is that the primary sort of analysis that is being done here is like a correlative analysis of data? Or are there other things that I'm simply not picking up on or, you know, I'm probably just too ignorant to realize is happening? I think it it really depends on the application what techniques are, are being used and how popular they are. Do you yeah, have any so examples? I, I, don't th- I, th- I don't think there's a, like correlation is, is one of the easiest and simplest concepts to know whether one thing has an effect on something else. Right. So that's definitely used a lot, but it really depends on the application of what type of statistical technique or methodologies is popular, I guess. Do you see a lot of people, and just putting on my philosopher's hat here for a second, who are trying to make causative claims out of this correlative data? Because that's always my big concern is that people see, oh, well, this and this were related, therefore this caused this, which of course is a common logical error. Do you see that happen a lot? I guess it it will happen sometimes. And that's why I think some kind of theoretical background helps you to understand that, well, correlation doesn't mean causation. But it's always a risk. And as you get more data, you'll find more just by accident, you'll find more correlations. So it's it's definitely a risk. Sure. I mean, correlations are interesting because they might end up leading you back to some sort of causation. You know, they might highlight things that you didn't realize had some sort of relationship. And then, you know, you can potentially work backwards to some sort of common cause. You may not, but I think what you're saying is that to be able to ask the right sort of questions from the data that you get back, you need to understand the theory behind what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Do you have examples of other techniques um, in addition to correlation? Well, I, I think something that's really powerful that's being used a lot is all kinds of machine learning techniques that give you recommendations about who you should connect to on LinkedIn, recommendation on what the next thing is you should watch on Netflix, that what the next thing is you should buy on Amazon. So I think like there are many techniques being used there, I'm sure, but the application is very powerful. So are there any particular algorithms in recommendations in particular? This, this is something I really like knowing about just because it's interesting to get that sort of data back. You know, I, I love as an end user, getting recommended new things all the time on Netflix or things uh, of that nature. But, you know, the only algorithm that I'm familiar with, which I, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think is one of the simpler of them is the, like, K-nearest neighbors algorithm. Um, But are there other interesting algorithms that you see out there in the wild that people are using? Yeah, I think in general, in, in these kind of situations, clustering is probably quite powerful. So you cluster people that are similar to the person that you have in front of you. That gives you some kind of indication about, given the fact that he's similar on other topics, then to these people, he probably also is similar in liking this new thing. So K-nearest neighbors is yeah one of the most popular clustering algorithms. Is that what I'm seeing when I, when I see on Amazon, like people who purchase this also purchase these other products? Yeah. 
I must admit I'm not an expert in like machine learning per se. I personally have a background in, in financial engineering. So, Are these sorts of analyses run like offline and then fed back into whatever your application is? Or are people doing these things in real time, like while you're using the service? It used to be that it was behind the scenes offline, but I think more and more, yeah, they're trying to do it in, in real time, which is very challenging technically, of course. So the popularity of some of these new tools like Spark yeah, it's caused by the fact that you can do that kind of thing in, in real time. Sorry, what is Spark? It's a new framework for analytics. I'm not super familiar with it myself. I haven't played around with it yet. But IBM has announced that they'll invest in it heavily. And the difference with, with Hadoop is that it's better suited for real-time uh, analysis. Okay. That's interesting. I'll, I'll have to look into that more. I see the it's, a, it's an Apache project. Is that right? Yeah, it's an open source project, just like like Hadoop or R or many of the popular data science tools. So, what is the R language? So, R is is the most popular statistical computing language. It's been around for a while since the nineties. It's open source, and it it already was very popular amongst academics. But it's now more and more getting traction in the business world as well. And what makes R super powerful is is its community and the fact that that community has developed enormous amounts of functionality for all kinds of things. So whether it's data manipulation, data visualization, uh, reporting, financial models, machine learning algorithms, there's an entire community developing tools in R for other R users, and that's what makes it so so popular. Because in a few lines of code, you can do crazy things just because other people have implemented, yeah, very complex algorithms or visualization techniques, and it's just there for people to use it. Are these community improvements part of like the standard library in R, or is it similar to like how gems work in the Ruby world? It's a perfect comparison. It's it's exactly like gems work in the Ruby world. You just like you have a base R version and you just load in packages just like you would load in a gem in Ruby. And there's a central repository managed by like the members of the R community. That's really interesting. I wasn't aware of that. I mean, you know, I I think I did try R on Code School a while back and I think that context is really important to know. Because, you know, a lot of what drives my personal decisions when going into a programming language is the community behind it and all the support that you have for doing exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's a super strong community. And I mentioned that I was going to a conference before. It's actually the yearly R conference, uh, which is in Denmark this year and starts, well, the day after tomorrow, but I'm flying there tomorrow. Nice. <laughs> so it's it's where all the R geeks gather. All right on. That's really the key, because R is a language per se, if you look at it from a computer science perspective, uh, and I'm not a computer scientist, but many computer scientists look down upon R as being an inferior language, but it doesn't really matter because people still use it because it has such a strong functionality. I think it's somewhat similar in that respect to JavaScript. Everybody hates, well, not like, let me rephrase that, a lot of people also don't think super highly of JavaScript as a language. It was kind of an accident, but there's so many functionality like jQuery, such great libraries that like there's no way 
you can build something on the web and, and not think at some point that it would be easy to use some kind of JavaScript library uh, or framework. Uh, and R is very similar. So where does R fit in uh, in, a, in a company? Is it running on, on the server or what's happening there? Typically, it's, it's, it's just a, a data, like it starts with one data analyst using it on his own laptop. Okay, so are they loading up the, the data from, from the analytics and then firing it up in R? and like, Yeah, running? the downside of that is R works 100% in memory, so days are at least. So, so that's great and super fast if you have only a couple of gigs of data, but once you have more, you have to go to more advanced solutions. Is R being run by a human to analyze data, or is there also you know, some sense of, are running on the server to serve up recommendations. How does that all kind of fit together? Well, both things happen. Like what happened a lot is since R has so much so much functionality, what what used to happen a lot is that people would build a prototype in R because it's super fast. But because R wasn't that accepted yet, they would then build something for production in a different language like Python. But as R is getting more mature and getting more acceptance, more often People also deploy, like, they just set up an R server and they run their script there. Okay, that makes sense. And is R, you know, still evolving as a language, uh, like the actual standard library itself and the, you know, the syntax? Yeah, but it's it's quite mature in the sense that it doesn't change, like, it doesn't really change substantially anymore. It's just, like, very, very small tweaks. What changes is that people are building new libraries that sometimes become de facto standards for certain types of things you want to do in R. Okay. Is there anything that people should really try to learn before trying to tackle R as a language? You mean specific packages? No, no. I mean, I mean, if I'm coming to R for the first time, should I just dive right into R, or should I have a little bit of a statistical background first? I know earlier you kind of recommended like taking the technical approach first. Is that really true here? Yeah, I, th- I think like the best way... Is just to learn by doing and and to to start using R uh, and analyzing data and 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 get some understanding of stats while you're working on it. That's what we're doing with DataCamp. Is just to because stats is typically not considered super interesting by many people. Right. But solving real life cases and real life problems is interesting. So we're trying to teach people by offering them interesting challenges working with data. Okay. When you know, like, if you're somebody who already knows a pretty popular language such as Ruby or or Python, why learn a language like R when, you know, you can pretty much do most things that you want in Ruby or Python? I think that's a great question. And I've noticed that many people who come from an engineering background, they continue with Python or to analyze their data just because it's something they know. What makes people switch after a while typically is the enormous amount of packages and functionality that has been built by the R community. Do you have a few examples of some in- interesting functionality that's been built? So I, at some point, a little bit involved in the, the R finance community. And if you think about analyzing financial data, everything for every risk measure has been implemented in R. Like almost every type of portfolio optimization algorithm has been implemented in R. 
visualization for these things have been implemented in R. If you want to build something and, and analyze financial data, for example, it's all there and you just have to learn how to use it. And the same is true if you're in healthcare for analyzing genomics data. There's so much functionality that that's just ready to use that's built by by the smartest people often in the in the academic and in the business world. So it would be crazy to go and implement those things yourself in Python or Ruby. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Does R allow you the ability to communicate the insights that you're getting from the data that you've analyzed? I mean, to build a narrative to help, you know, the non-technical people on your team to understand what we've just learned? Well, there are some interesting projects going on or like software that, that has been written relatively recently to embed R in Markdown documents. So there's a package called R Markdown, which is uh, supported by, by the company RStudio that allows you to create reports. So the output can be just a PDF or a Word doc or some sort of website. But behind that, there's an R script. So that's really powerful. And there's another project that allows you to use R to build dashboards, which is called Shiny for those interested. And that's super powerful as well. Okay. Is visualizing the data that we get back important to our understanding of that data? Oh, absolutely. It's often the first step after you've cleaned the data. It's it's often the first thing you'll do is just have a look at the data. So why is that? I think it's because humans can get a lot of information from visualizations, just the way we're wired. That makes sense. It's way easier to look at a plot. So suppose you have a, yeah, a million data points on something and there's no way to visualize that and you have to look at summary statistics. It's It's way easier to understand what's going on if you just look at one plot. Okay, that makes sense. And do you help in what you're teaching at DataCamp, you know, people understand like which ways to visualize certain types of data? Oh yeah, we have we have one course specifically around a visualization package in R called Chigivis, and we also teach the basic ways you can use R to visualize data. So that's that's definitely in general what we're teaching on DataCamp is like first base R like the, for real beginners, how to get started with R. Then there's intermediate R. And then we want to take you through the typical steps you would do as a, as a data analyst. So how to manipulate data, how to visualize data, how to model data, and then finally how to report uh, based on data. So we want to teach all these different steps. And right now we're focused on teaching that with R, but going forward we want to do the same thing for Python as well. So uh, aside from R, what other tools are out there, popular tools that a data scientist would use? Yeah, so like I mentioned, Python and R, both of them are getting a lot of traction in the data science uh, space. And then you have older tools like SQL and Excel, which is still like probably the most often used tool is still Excel uh, for basic things. And then you have new tools like Spark and Hadoop which are getting traction pretty fast. Okay, so what is Hadoop? Uh, Hadoop is a, a framework which is specifically interesting if you have enormous amounts of data. So so it's mostly, at this point, it's still mostly used by, by companies like yeah, Yahoo, Google, uh, because you have to, like it only makes sense if you really have enormous amounts of data. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I think Hadoop was... And I mean, it obviously still is, but 
when big data started becoming a really big thing, it was like Hadoop was mentioned in every other uh, word that big data was mentioned in. Um, so yeah, and and it seems like Spark is going to be the next type. Okay, <laughs> yeah, Hadoop was uh, like you know my understanding at the time was so limited, um, so I I kind of just walked away with like the impression that Hadoop was what you used to do data science <laughs> rather than Hadoop is a tool for just massive volumes of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Hadoop is really for big data analysis, which is, like we discussed earlier, only a subset of the data science revolution. Right. And Hadoop, is that one of the only tools out there that allows you to do these sorts of like map reduce things that we've heard about? Or are you able to do that in R itself as well? No, what ends up happening is that for a lot of these new tools like Hadoop or Spark, people built an R interface. You can use R to do an analysis, which is then translated into either SQL or Hadoop or Spark. So that's another like evolution that's happening right now is that, that R becomes the interface for more advanced or for more complicated things. Okay. And what is you know this concept of map reduce? What are the like mappers doing? What are the reducers doing? Yeah, so it's basically so. Just to be clear, I'm not a Hadoop expert, but basically you're gonna distribute your data because it's so big. You have to distribute it over numerous servers, which all contain only part of the data. Then you have an operation you wanna do for each of these nodes. That's the mapping. Then the reducing is getting all that summarized data back and and getting it to one output. Okay, that makes sense. So going back to, you know, what we need to know to do data science really well, what do you think is the mark of a really good data scientist? Yeah, I think a really good data scientist brings three types of skill sets to the table. One is purely technical. You need to have some understanding of either Python, Hadoop, Spark, and ideally, at least R and Python. And then second of all, you need to have some understanding of statistical methodologies and or machine learning. And third of all, you, you need to understand uh, how a certain business domain works. So if you combine these three, then like very, on a very high level, you have somebody that's valuable as a data scientist. Okay, so it really is a multidisciplinary skill set. Yeah, and that's what makes it somewhat hard. Right. And I mean, (laughs) that sounds especially challenging when you've got, like you said, you know, a need for like 200,000 of these data scientists coming up in the United States here. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But the good thing is, like, there's a lot of people who know how to code. And so they need to pick up only the stats part. And there is a lot of statisticians, maybe less than than computer scientists, but they can learn how to code. So I I guess that's what's going to happen. Right, so you're basically trying to solve, you know, for one piece of this puzzle rather than all three simultaneously. Yeah, I think that's the more realistic way to look at it. Of course, like, young people will go, like, some of them will go to some kind of uh, data science master program, which you see pop up here and there uh, now, where you immediately learn these three things at the same time. Right. So your third point was that to be a great data scientist, you need domain expertise. Could you explain why that is? Yeah, because you need to understand both what you're looking for in the data and you need to interpret what comes out of it. So if you don't have any clue 
yeah, how your industry works, that's that's really hard to do, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it'd be pretty challenging, I think, you know, if uh, just to take the example of like influenza or something like that for me to know like what the cause behind some sort of, you know, massive outbreaks might be without knowing, you know, anything about influenza itself. Exactly. Or you think about analyzing genomics data if you don't know what the DNA is. <laughs> <laughs> You, yeah. you can you can look at the data, you can know how to program it, but it's, it will be like you have no clue what you're doing. Right. So that's in healthcare, but the same is true in finance or, or in technology. So, I mean, do you find that at least in some of these different verticals that the bigger piece of the challenge might be less, you know, teaching people statistics or teaching people the technical skills and more finding people with the like domain experience behind those things? Because, I mean, at least in my small slice of like startup land where you know everybody may have software experience but their domain experience is basically being in a software company you know you get a lot of people who go out and start startups that primarily serve the software industry or you know they don't have any sort of domain experience but they see some sort of challenge and they try and go after that you know i think it's hard at least to find a lot of people that appear to be very uh, multidisciplinary to begin with. Would you say that's true, or do you have a, a different observation of that? No, I, I agree that that's probably true in the startup community. But if you, I think if you zoom out, there are a lot of domain experts that don't have the stats or like programming backgrounds. So there are way more people who already have the domain expertise, but who should pick up the stats and math and programming things to become a data scientist. Okay. So I think it's what you're saying is definitely true in the startup community, but but I think it's kind of a a special environment which is somewhat different from the rest of of the industry. Okay, so you're you're saying that we really need to kind of start in these domains to be able to bring those people out. Yeah, I, like I didn't expect that, but if you look at if we analyze who our users are at DataCamp, so for example, it could be somebody working as a financial analyst who wants to pick up R and who wants to pick up some data science skills to improve his career prospects. So that's that's really not what I expected two years ago when we started this. But what we've noticed is that you get the main experts who want to pick up this skill. And it, that's, it, that, that's very interesting, actually. How are these people becoming aware of this? I mean, is it just, you know, they are career driven and, you know, they, they've heard about this in the news or something? Or, I mean, where do these people start? Yeah, often I think like they're getting to see the value of analyzing data and there's maybe their company pushes them and Excel just doesn't do the work anymore because there is too much data or because they want to do some kind of more advanced analysis. So I guess they start looking for better tools and then they start looking for a way to learn those. Okay, so it's really coming from a source of pain in their day-to-day. -day. Yeah, I think it is. Pain could be like the manager wants to hire a data scientist, but he can't find one. So it sounds like a high, very effective data science department would be multidisciplinary, meaning the computer scientist is working side by side, the domain expert, and they're kind of learning each other's. Oh, yeah, I think I think that's probably what you're going to see going forward. OK, that makes sense. Well, this has been really illuminating. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell us where we can keep up with you online? Yes. Yeah, so everybody who wants to learn the basics of R and data science in general should definitely check out 
datacam.com. And you can just get started for free. And if you like what we do, you can subscribe uh, to more premium content. Um, if you want to learn about data manipulation, data visualization, anything data analysis related. Okay, great. We'll put the links to that in the show notes so everybody can check that out on our website. And do you have a Twitter or anything that people can follow you personally? They can follow at Datacamp. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks again, Jonathan, and uh, hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Talking Code Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure to sign up for our mailing list at TalkingCode.com. If you liked this episode, please be sure to open up iTunes and leave us a review. And if you're dying for us to talk about something in particular, go to TalkingCode.com ask and let us know. We read and respond to every listener question. So even if you just want a little advice, we're here to help.